This podcast is sponsored by Nice Actimize. Digital acceleration. Where do we begin? A good place to start is with today's customers wanting a digital-only banking experience that's easy and, more importantly, safe. A digital-first strategy is crucial for credit unions to not only get new customers, but for ongoing customer satisfaction. If you're ready to accelerate your digital transformation, visit niceactimize.com slash exceed. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. More than a year into the coronavirus, or COVID-19, pandemic, credit unions have learned a great deal from the accelerated adoption of digital channels that occurred. Members are interacting digitally with their credit unions in higher numbers than ever before. And credit unions must practice control and confidence in their risk assessments and abilities to fight financial crime. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, Deputy Editor Casey Mishlevy speaks with Andrew Corbett, pre-sales consultant with Nice Actimize. They discuss lessons learned from the pandemic and ways credit unions can adapt to the ongoing digital transformation. As a member of the Premier Solutions Consultant Team at Nice Actimize, Corbett works to provide cloud compliance solutions to credit unions. He shares specific areas of elevated risk that credit unions should know about and outlines steps credit unions should follow to monitor and assess risks related to digital platforms. Andrew, when we remember the beginning of the pandemic last year, One thing that stands out is the quick thinking that was required from so many businesses to be able to stand up their operations under extraordinary conditions. Credit unions also had to address how to effectively continue operating in socially distanced or remote environments. We also know many credit unions needed to enhance their digital solutions for members, I'd like to start by discussing what digital strategies you've seen credit unions adopting in order to continue operations. Having conversations with credit unions uh, during COVID, hopefully as we're getting closer to post-COVID, the number one thing that we've been talking about is even before COVID, one of the first things that people were looking at when it came to judging how their team was performing, judging on how solutions could help them was, is this going to help us pivot? You know, this idea of being able to pivot when either a geographical change happens or a temporal change, because like what a crazy time we're living in right now with COVID. How do I have the ability to configure? How do I have the ability and the agency to make changes as needed? And you've kind of seen that continue because what COVID did was this whole digital transformation. Before the events of last year, there were a lot of theoretical conversations. What would happen if you know, all of a sudden customers stopped coming into the office, into the branch, and we were having to onboard people without ever meeting them. And there would be conversations back and forth. And, oh, yeah, we probably do need to do this. We probably do need to add that on the digital side. But we'll give it a couple of years. You know, we don't have to do it right now. And then COVID made the theoretical very, very real and very, very instant. And it sped up everyone's timelines. So when we talk about digital solutions and strategies, it's the same things that we all needed to do, you know, a year and a half ago. But it was on that five-year timeline being able to have a solution that's holistic. It's not going to have any gaps between, you know, am I onboarding a customer? Do I have the ability to customize those questions on my KYC form so I'm knowing my customer and I'm not guessing about who my customer is? 
And then if I can get that risk assessment correct the first time, you know, now there's this compounding interest effect where I'm actually going to have the right rate of periodic review. I'm going to have the right frequency. And I have a much better chance of being successful with that member throughout that entire life cycle of having them as a customer. So what COVID really did was kind of shine a light on a lot of things that we've been talking about. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, that would be a problem if something like that ever happened. Made it very real and accelerated the process of fixing it. And that was a trial and error process in many cases. With that in mind, what lessons have emerged from this acceleration of digital tools and platforms? I'll give you two right off the top. So the first one is you have to be able to contextualize non-monetary risk, especially from the digital channel. You know, we talk about account takeover. I think it's like a little bit less than 10% of SARS are filed on account takeover. The vast majority of them are about transactions. So what does that tell us? It says that as an industry, we're not doing a very good job of identifying account takeover in real time. And when you think about digital fraud, digital money laundering, you know, that is coming from this ability to access through the digital channels. This idea of overwhelming institutions that don't have that omni-channel approach and aren't you know, seeing everything as contextual. One of the big things that's happened is there's this idea that you, know, you can have a rules-based system and you can fix things with rules. And if a new thing comes up, oh, we'll just add another rule to it. But that will never work because you're consistently making you know, changes to other rules now and it's this whole house of cards. So one of the big things that we've been having in terms of conversations with credit unions these days is everything needs to be contextual. If I have two wires and they're both $10,000, I don't want a rule that says, hey, it's a $10,000 wire, create an alert, because there's tons of false positives that come with that. What I want is behavioral analytics that's going to say, hey, somebody registered a new device. They logged in from Chicago when they've never been there before. And three hours ago, they logged in 1,400 miles away somewhere else. And also, there was a password change and there was a wire submission for $10,000. When you think about it, analysts are only as good as the information they're given. And they're only efficient as where that information is being presented. If it's all in one place, great. If you're giving me a scavenger hunt, if you're giving me a, you know, a Ziploc baggie with a sandwich in it and telling me to spend a day finding information, you're really not giving me the tools to be an investigator. You're turning me into an administrator. And that was one of the other big challenges. And then you know, the other thing that I'll say, too, is it's also really important to understand the typologies at play. Because if you look at something like unemployment benefits fraud, which is a very, like it existed before COVID, but it's a very funny thing to talk about. Because usually when we talk about account takeover, it's somebody taking advantage of your account, taking control of it, and then taking that money and sending it somewhere else. But unemployment benefits is somebody taking over your account and having money being sent to you, which is just a complete crisscross for a lot of people. You know, it was a very uh, surprising scam because it just appeared one day. You know, it had been around for a while, but not in the force that we saw it during COVID. And it really became a, a situation where teams had to ask themselves, okay, can we pivot? Are we really able to understand account takeover? Can we identify it? Can we understand also the typology too? You know, we're looking for new transaction recipients and we're looking for new originators. Okay, well, if we know that, can we leverage that expertise? Can we create a rule where it'll identify for us automatically if that relationship exists? You know, the big thing is about being proactive. And if you're going to do that on the digital channel, you got to control the digital channel. You make a crucial point about the increased opportunities for fraudulent actors. Scammers are getting more sophisticated and they're taking advantage of the uncertainties around relief payments and unemployment, which heightens the risk for credit unions and their members. Are there any other specific areas of risk that you think credit unions should be aware of? I think the conversation we always have is financial crime is about incentive, access, and opportunity. 
we can't do anything about incentive, especially when something like COVID-19 happens. Like you just mentioned, there's never been more incentive for a lot of people to become first time fraudsters or first time money launderers. But what we can do is make sure that we understand the access people have to our systems and then we can limit the opportunity. And the way that you do that is by understanding these digital channels. Also, the wonderful thing about fraudsters and money launderers, too, is they're not loyal. You know, no fraudsters ever smacked the table and said, I've been stealing from this institution for 20 years. How dare you make these changes? So if we can understand the mechanics, if we can understand the typologies that we're dealing with. And if we have the agency to make changes, a fraudster or a money launderer, they're going to change a lot of things about the way they do business. But the one thing they won't change is their mechanic. They'll change where they go to do business. They'll go to another institution. And the other thing that's really cool about being able to control the digital channel and being able to understand on the money laundering side you know, your relationship and getting all that information at the point of attack where you're filling out those KYC forms is money launderers and fraudsters will always cut corners. And they're ridiculous corners because they spend so much money and so much time getting a lot of the big things right. But if you have a solution that's contextual, if they get any of the little things wrong, it's going to sink them. I can't tell you how many credit unions have, you know, stopped crime rings of over nine people because everyone's using the same PO box as an address or even on the fraud side. So you have people who have almost no risk at attacking you on the digital channel. They're in non-extradition countries. And, you know, it's not the risk that we normally associate with stealing from a bank where you're, you know, rolling in with a, a handkerchief over your face and you can be doing 25 years in jail. They're sitting in an apartment and they have no incentive not to try this. So they spend all this money. They figure out how to clone phone devices. I can make it look like my iPhone is my iPhone, but it's actually coming from a completely another country. And they figured out the VPN and the IP address. But what they don't do and what we're able to find right now is the browsers. So if you think about it, like an OS and a phone are really connected. iPhone and Android never work together anyway. So you're not going to convince me that, you know, we have four months of data of you using this iPhone. And now you're using Android OS. That's account takeover. But it's a corner that's being cut. And as credit unions, as financial professionals, we have the ability to take advantage of that. Yeah, where we're at now, we have to better understand the scammer's mindset and hone our attention to details so we can identify when they make mistakes. What are some steps credit unions should take to monitor and assess this risk? And also, because we're only human, what specific tools or technologies can help? Well, I think the first thing that you have to do is you reverse engineer it. If you're a fraudster or you're a money launderer, how do you win? And the common way that you win if you're a financial criminal is you're hoping that the people who are you know, opposing you, the financial crime specialists, you're hoping they're not getting a complete picture. So I want to find out where are the gaps in my communication? Is my AML and fraud team siloed? Are they working the same investigations about the same people and they don't know about it? Can't tell you how many times I hear that happen. Because think about it too, all fraud eventually becomes money laundering. So if your fraud team isn't getting access to the information they need and they're not catching me, well, now your money laundering team is going to feel it too. You know, any dirty money will eventually have to be washed at some point. So the first thing that I'd be looking at is gaps. And, you know, the way that you fix that, the solutions that you can work with, obviously I'm representing Actimize, but you need a holistic fraud and AML solution. What you have to consider is each channel, whether it's online or mobile or each transaction type, each service that you're offering, whether it's check, ACH, wire, RDFI, ODFI, ACH, that's an opportunity for me to try and saturate your view. I'm going to try to overwhelm you with information because for a long time that worked. Think about it, right? You know, human beings, anybody who's still using spreadsheets right now knows there is a limit to the amount of information that I can A, remember and B, just have in front of me and understand what I'm looking at. 
And for a long time, there were a lot of people who made a lot of money by saturating your view. But what you have to have is you have to have a solution that's going to access all the data. Because on the AML side, we know what we're looking for. We have those known data sets and typologies. But on the fraud side, you need a system that's greedy. I want as many different data streams as I can possibly get. And I want to have a model that's going to eat all of that up and then deliver a very clear, identifiable alert. Hey, why is this in front of me? It's in front of you because there's geolocation information that doesn't make sense. You know, somebody's logging in from a country they've never logged in before. Their device has changed. Also, they're sending this wire to someone they've never sent this wire to before. And you also have the ability to be proactive. You're being told in real time. This isn't something that you're finding out 30 days later. All these things come into play because when really when we talk about financial crime, we're talking about a solution that has to really come to terms with the fact that all of the customers want things as fast as possible. And all the fraudsters want things as fast as possible because for the longest time, that meant that they could outspeed the detection of financial crime. So what we need to be able to do is be organized, have no gaps, and we need to be faster. And you have to have a solution that's going to let you do those things. You mentioned the siloed nature of some credit union operations. In some cases, executives may need support from employees or teams they hadn't necessarily realized were important to include before. As we think about that, how can credit unions ensure that they have the relevant staff involved in planning for fraud deterrence? And additionally, if outside expertise is necessary, what should credit unions seek out? You know, when you have a conversation like that, you have to look at it from two different perspectives. There's the macro, that's your chief risk officer, that's your ESA officer. And then there's your micro, those are your analysts who are using that solution day in and day out. They're your end users. And the distinction that has to be made there is that for an end user, I only know my little part of the battlefield. I have no idea what's going on around me. And I'm not really being tasked to do that, right? My job is to execute on what's in front of me. To do that, I need to be able to have the full story delivered to me. So we talk about communication. You know, the worst thing that can happen for an institution is you have somebody who's worked a case and wanted to communicate some information so that the next person who may need to work it has that context, but you have a solution that's not giving you that ability. Or if it is there, you know, those comments are there. You have to log into a disparate system. It's going to take 10 minutes to even do it. By then, the entire flow of the investigation is ruined. What I need to have as an end user is I need to have all the information that we've compiled about this, every single thing that we're paying for needs to be delivering to me a very concise answer about what I'm looking at and what I need to do next. That's the micro view. The macro view, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, is, you know, number one, I need to make sure everybody on my team is having that experience, right? And that's half the battle. But the second piece of it, too, is are we leveraging the expertise that's in our building? I talk to credit unions that have people that have been at the credit union for 20 plus years. And you stack a couple of those in the same room, you have 100 years worth of experience, are they able to use that? Do they have the agency to make changes? You know, if a fraud typology shows up, can they make a rule? If there is an AML situation that they're dealing with, if they're dealing with microstructuring, can they configure that threshold without having an examiner, you know, <laughs> rip their head off? Because you have to be able to explain what you did. There has to be an audit trail. So the big thing from the macro point of view is I just want to make sure I'm maximizing our potential. And then if I'm going to go outside of the business and ask for a consultant, I want somebody that's coming from one of three fields. Someone who's lived the micro experience and been an analyst, someone who's lived the macro experience and has been a, uh, you know, a CRO or a BSA officer. And then the third piece is you have to be able to connect those two groups. So if you're a consultant that has a solution that's going to do that, or if you have a consulting company that's about breaking down silos, you know, those are good resources because they can really identify gaps 
and they can really make sure that both teams are working in synchronicity. I want to ask you specifically about artificial intelligence, which is of increasing importance within the credit union movement. And all of the ways that AI can help with issues of fraud are pretty impressive. Uh, Speaking for myself, I didn't realize until recently just how much AI can do in that area. What can you tell us about the role of AI in preventing fraud? Yeah, I mean, it's the present and it's also the future. You know, if we think about fraud architecture, any fraud solution that's rules-based by itself, that's all it is, that's about 20 years old in terms of the design. And then behavioral analytics, you know, giving somebody a customer profile and saying, hey, is this anomalous for what, you know, Casey normally does? That's about five years old. But now if we have machine learning, at first it was supervised machine learning where it's like, oh, great, it's machine learning, but it's really like a a wind up car. I got to pick the thing up and mess with it every five minutes. But now that we have unsupervised machine learning, we have a model that's self-learning. So it actually is going to be personalized to you over time because the more I do as a customer, the better it has of an understanding of me. So if I have 50 activities and it says that there's an anomalous behavior, that has a much higher detection rate than a rule. Because it's really said, no, we've looked at your activities over a year and we know that you've never logged in during this day of the week and this time of day. But when you think about it for account takeover coming from different time zones, that could be really beneficial. So in terms of detection capability, but then also operations as well, your IT team isn't going to hate you because they don't have to worry about these manual logs. You know, one of the big things that I always talk to people about is your solution should be something that can be personalized to you over time. In our business, one size fits all is ridiculous. There's no medium sized t-shirt. If you're from Atlanta, Georgia, or if you're from San Jose, California, those are vastly different challenges at any given time of the day. And you have to have an ability to, from an analytical perspective, which is where machine learning comes in, make sure that the actual foundational bedrock of the way that you approach operationalizing alerts is gonna mold to what you need it to do over time. And the way that it does that is by listening to you. When you indicate something, it listens. But then the other thing as well is it's going to build a model of who all of your customers are in isolation. But then it's also going to say, who's the average member at this credit union? And it's going to compare both of those models whenever there's an anomalous behavior. And that makes it so much more accurate. And it also reduces false positives, which is the hidden evil of this industry. (laughs) It's It's the number one time killer. You're right that AI has become the present and the future. And speaking more broadly about what's to come, conditions are changing quickly now. We have vaccines being rolled out and certain restrictions are easing in many areas, but there are still a lot of challenges. There's still a long way to go. So two-part question, what further transformations do you see occurring in the digital space? And also, what do you anticipate in terms of evolving types of fraud? The first thing is there's going to be some bells that were unrung. There are a lot of people who got used to doing banking in their bathrobes, and that's going to be tough for those people to give up. So you're not going to see people with the branches as much. I know for the younger generations, that was already kind of becoming a thing, but now you have people that have really normalized that. So what this leads to is now we have to have a situation where credit unions are starting to come to terms with the fact that they may never meet their customers in real life, which is for a lot of the credit unions I talk to completely unthinkable. And especially a year or two ago, they would have never envisioned that it would have happened this fast. So how can we accurately assess risk if there are things that we were relying on before to tell us the risk that somebody would pose to us that we no longer have the option to do? The biggest thing is 
when you ask questions of somebody, they need to be questions that actually mean something for your institution. You have to be able to customize those forms. That whole onboarding process is so important now because that's your one chance to get it right. You know, if we can really risk assess someone correctly, if we find out somebody's high risk and now we're putting them in a more continuous update in terms of, hey, let's make sure that our update of their risk is faster. It's a quicker frequency. That's really important. The second piece of it too is gone are the days of customers are pretty much only going to use us for one or two things. Now, when you're digitally focused, it makes much more sense to consolidate all of your consumer needs to everything. You know, if I have a relationship with a credit union, I'm using them for everything. Any financial institution, they have a lot more responsibilities now. That means more channels. That means more activity. That means you really have to have the understanding of who this person is based on their behavior. Because that's really all that you're going to have to judge them on if they're never in front of you. You're just going to have to have the ability to have a unsupervised machine learning model that's going to say, this is anomalous based on their behavior. It's not anomalous because we have a rule that's a one-size-fits-all rule that now needs to apply to all of our customers. You know, the last thing I'll say, too, is part of the good stuff about this change is that now it's possible to have customers that aren't in the normal geographic range that most of these credit unions expect their customers to come from. We're seeing a lot of marketing and a lot of fintech offerings, too. So we have credit unions who are working with fintechs to expand their customer base and when you do that, when you have customers who are coming from the other side of the country now, you know, if you're used to the Southeast and now you have customers in the Pacific Northwest, we also need the ability, like I just said, to be able to configure our risk because things change. And we got to be able to have a customized solution for each one of our customers. That's one of the exciting things, though, is there's a lot of business potential. I've seen a lot of really exciting things. You know, Google Plex is also doing something where they're letting credit unions kind of be the trusted partner for fintechs. And I've been telling all my customers to take a look at that because I think that's also an exciting new way to build business. I like that you emphasized some of the opportunities that have emerged from this challenging time. Finding new ways to grow is really important to all credit unions. How can increased attention to digital solutions contribute to growth? Wherever you are now, no matter what you may tell an outside party, you want to get bigger. I've never talked to a credit union that doesn't want to expand. And when you expand, that usually involves acquisitions. That usually involves, now we're taking you know, sole stewardship over a new group of members and we have to protect them the same way we'd protect our original members. And so it's so important that whatever's working for you right now, make sure that it's scalable. Make sure that if you double in size or triple in size in the next five years, you have the ability to treat each one of your customers, each one of your members as individuals. Because if you can't, if you're saying, oh, well, we have what's working for us now, and we're going to acquire a credit union two states over and we're going to apply the exact same models and the exact same rules, you're going to be in for a hurting because there are different geographic factors in place. And there's different time in place too. where we are right now, as we've just seen, <laughs> can change quite a bit in two years. So when we talk about financial crime, we talk about compliance, we talk about security. We don't talk about scalability enough because even if everything's great right now, if you double in size in the next five years, which every credit union I've talked to wants to do. <laughs> You have to keep that in mind as well, that there are challenges that come with it. And just like we just said now, the limits are gone. I can't tell you how many great credit unions I've met that have this wonderful community approach that their members love. But for the longest time, there's this geographical limit where, well, I can't make it to the branch if it's three hours away. Now that those limits are going and we've always still wanted those expansion plans, every credit union I talk to does. You have to have this idea in mind of scalability and security go hand in hand. If you run out of scalability, your security will suffer. Any institution that's using a solution that's like, yeah, once you get past this dollar amount in asset size management, we can't really help you. 
you know, you don't want to find that out in the middle of a uh, acquisition process. That's tough enough already. So I encourage everybody in the new year to grow and also to understand that a lot of the traditional limits are gone. And it's a really exciting time. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. Tailor-made for credit unions, Nice Actimize Exceed provides a smarter, faster, cloud-based approach to fraud prevention and AML. Learn more at niceactimize.com slash exceed.